Welcome to r slash malicious compliance, where a lowly employee destroys the reputation of a millionaire CEO. Second semester of my freshman year, I was taking a music theory course. The professor was very serious about her job, and this class was a bit of a weed out class for students who wanted to pursue music education. I was taking it for fun. By the time the end of the semester rolled around, I got the feeling she didn't really like me much because I didn't pay attention in class but still got A's on the homework, exams, and playing tests. I had played piano for a decade by this point, so she couldn't really punish me for anything since I wasn't disrupting the class, but was just a thorn in her side through lack of participation. Thank God that wasn't part of our grade. Our final project was to find a poem we liked and craft a song using the poem as the lyrics. As she passed out the requirement sheet, she announced that she would be playing these for the class. So we need to put in effort so that we don't feel embarrassed by what she plays in front of everyone, about 30 people. She shoots a glance at me, the least involved student as she says that, which I took as a challenge. I found a poem called A Minor Bird and decided to craft my masterpiece in the key of E flat minor. The reasoning, six out of the seven notes are lowered a half step. So it's not a matter of thinking everything I see is lowered. It's everything but one note is lowered, which is fairly hard to keep track of while sight reading something that utilizes both hands on the piano. We were to hand them in at the beginning of class and she would go through the stack and play them without practicing first. It's a freshman level class. How hard could it be? I spent weeks working on this because I wanted to make sure it was both well-written and an absolute pain to play. I had upperclassmen take a look at it to make sure everything was labeled correctly. And they told me I was the most magnificent bastard ever because this professor had irked most of the students in the department who had taken her class. Then the day comes. We all turn our papers in and I'm visibly excited by everything. The professor comes in and goes full Dolores Umbridge. I certainly hope everyone met the requirements and put care into their work. If not, we'll soon find out. She goes to the piano and pulls the first paper off the stack and makes some comments about it that aren't negative but are a bit goading regarding the amount of effort it seemed to take to write it. She apparently pulls mine up about two-thirds of the way, sits down to play it, and stops at the first chord. She looks around, makes eye contact with me, and straight up glares before regaining her composure and plunking through my piece. There's several chords that make a nice crunch before she corrects herself. That annoying not-flat note tripped her up every time. (laughs) And it sounds like whoever wrote this piece did a terrible job because of how it sounded. At the end, the meek international student, who has perfect pitch, raises her hand and goes, Excuse me, professor, that piece you just played, it has six flats in the key, yes? The professor said, Yes, it did. I didn't quite expect that. And then the student said, You didn't play all six flats. It didn't sound. Professor turns, glares at me, and goes, No, no, I did not. I got a 97% because she marked a chord label incorrect. I went back in and showed her that she missed the non-flat note in that chord and that it was actually labeled correctly. Got it changed to a 100%. 
Now, unfortunately, I can't play this song in this video because YouTube is super duper strict about music. But I did include the link to OP's song down in the description if you want to hear it for yourself. Also, the user Door down in the comments pointed out that the poem's last four lines are perfectly suited for this situation. The fault must partly have been in me. The bird was not to blame for his key. And of course, there must be something wrong in wanting to silence any song. Our next Reddit post is from Ding Dong to Long Wong. So yeah, a couple of years ago, I was working for an IT company which also provided server management and general domains and email services. We had some really big companies as clients, so we were used to some really idiotic demands. But most of the time, we could convince the people whose main job seemingly was to be in charge to listen to our expertise. Not so with Mr. Bigwig. Mr. Bigwig was the CEO of a large automobile sales company. He was also the type of guy who prided himself with being a great negotiator and thinking so far ahead, regular people can't follow. And he was a complete butthole to everyone. Mr. Bigwig went on a holiday once and set up an automatic out-of-office reply in his mail account. But as is the technical standard, everybody who wrote him during that time only received the reply just one single time. When Mr. Bigwig returned from his vacation, this infuriated him a lot. So he called our support line and yelled and cussed his way up our hierarchy until he had me on the phone. I tried to tell him that this was working as intended and tried to explain why, but Mr. Bigwig wouldn't have any of it. This went all the way to our chief technology officer who sent him a waiver to sign, stating that we would deactivate this limitation but not be liable for any consequences, in short. Then he told me to make the changes to Mr. Bigwig's account. I tried to object, but the CTO just smiled, shrugged, and went into his office. Mr. Bigwig was happy. He won and booked this as his latest negotiating victory. Now, let us jump to December the 29th of the same year. I get a phone call from Mr. Bigwig. He is not happy. He's not happy because he's blacklisted on about every blacklist in existence. He's also not happy because he can't receive or send any email. And he is not happy because he can't find any mail he received during the Christmas holidays or near them. He can't find them because the nice number in brackets beside his inbox folder that indicates the amount of unread emails he has reads 50,000. A quick look around the server logs tells me there are indeed some emails he didn't receive. 150,000 to be exact. They're still pending delivery because his inbox is full. He's also not happy because he's the laughing stock of everybody he ever respected. Now, let me guide you as the reader to the bottom of this. What you don't know, and what we also didn't know at the time is, Mr. Bigwig was a member of a very exclusive group of business owners, CEOs, and high-ranking politicians around the globe. The kind of people you would imagine sitting around a large oak table, smoking cigars, drinking 200 euro whiskeys, and discussing world dominance. The group had a mailing list. A sucky, basic mailing list. It went something like this. In parentheses, subject, out of office reply. Hey, thank you for the mail, but I'm on holiday. I will reply later. Then some random dude emailed the mailing list. Merry Christmas. 
and then the mailing list emailed everybody, hey guys, some random dude is wishing you Merry Christmas. Then Bigwig replies to the mailing list, thanks for telling me, but I am on holiday. I will reply later. Then the mailing list replied to everybody, hey guys, Mr. Bigwig is on holiday. He will reply later. Then Bigwig replied to that mailing list, thanks for telling me, but I am on holiday. I will reply later. Then the mailing list continued to reply to everybody. Hey guys, Mr. Bigwig is on holiday. He will reply later. And this loops <laughs> infinitely. It loops infinitely for the entire Christmas holiday. This repeats until the servers give out. So B, <laughs> B Diddy was not the only one who had thousands and thousands of emails in his folder. All his fancy pants networking contacts had them too. Mr. Bigwig raged hard at everyone who was brave enough to get on the phone with him, threatened to sue us for millions of euros and to end us as a business. We finally put him through to our founder who listened to his rant and told him he would send him a solution within the next 10 minutes. He sent two documents, a scan of his signed waiver in which the consequences of disabling the out of office message restriction were outlined in detail and a service contract allowing us to fix the problem to our abilities without any financial budget limitations, but with a really nice read enormous estimated budget. It was a good year for the company with an unexpected spike in revenue just before New Year's Eve. Then we have a contribution from FUBAR754 down in the comments. Yeah, I got to do this once. It was an automated monitoring system that had pretty extensive logs and would send out a summary email every 30 minutes. The new boss shows up and after a minor issue demands that we send an email every time we write something in the logs. We go back and forth trying to explain that sending five gigabytes of log entries split into God knows how many emails isn't going to work until the new boss just says, do it because I said so and I'm in charge. So we all shrug and get it ready to go for the next release and make sure that the boss is the only one getting the emails for this release. I give our exchange admins a quick call to make them know about the impending tidal wave of messages. Five minutes after we start the program up, new boss's email account is disabled and we get the call to roll back the changes from the head of IT and software development. After that, every change new boss would propose had to get approved by the head of software development. Our next Reddit post is from Shine the Dog. I'm not a professional photographer, but I do have decent equipment and a portfolio, so a lot of friends will hit me up for discounted photo shoots. Most of them pay or at least buy me dinner, but others expect me to do it for free. I'm close with my ex-boyfriend's family, so I was thrilled when his younger sister asked me to come do her prom photos earlier this month until she told me to bring the camera. I did mention to her that I'm doing online school and I have an exam due that week, so the pictures might not be ready for another week. She was fine with that. Within two hours of taking pictures of half a dozen high school students, I ended up with 300 plus shots because everyone wanted the perfect Instagram shot. Whatever, I can go home, study, and slowly work on sorting through the pictures later. 
They're not paying me, so I wasn't exactly motivated either. I get a text from her and her mom that night at around 11 p.m. They want the pictures edited and uploaded by the next morning so they could be shown off on social media. I tried to explain that I'm studying, but they weren't having it. They said, We don't care how you edit it, just make it look nice. Fine. I spent the next three hours working on the pictures and editing them really nice that even I was proud of. Then, I hid Shrek in the background of every single picture. Shrek with his head poking out between the kids. Shrek posing happily. Shrek had a very nice time at the prom, evidently. I uploaded the pics and sent them off. No one noticed the extra guest for weeks, and I got my ear chewed out because my ex's sister didn't appreciate her 900 followers on Instagram seeing Shrek grinning between her and her boyfriend. They asked me to edit however I wanted, so I delivered. Shrek was one of my best clients I've ever had. Our next Reddit story is from underscore volley. As a tech going on 30 years, I've seen some stupid management directives. This one is one of my favorites. Back in 2007, I worked for a large bank that is based in Atlanta and I worked in Richmond in a 28-story office tower. My primary job was desktop support and fixing phones. At that time, I was very athletic. I moved fast all the time and hated to use the elevator. If I had to go less than six floors, I took the stairs. My boss didn't care because as a team, we were the most efficient team in the company as far as the number of tickets worked each week per tech. We worked smart, not hard. So upper management in Atlanta decides one day to do a deep assessment on how all the techs in the bank did our job. My team gets a visit from Atlanta one day in the form of a heavyset guy who says he will be shadowing us to see how we did our job. He was a bit of a condescending jerk too in his attitude. He even had a stopwatch to time us. Now, we all knew right away what was happening. Management wanted to outsource us, so they needed to know what we did, how long it took, and what we used so they could put a cost on it before soliciting for bids. Let's just say my team was not thrilled about it. Now, I decided to be a smarty pants about this, and my team knew what I had planned for this event. I was told this overweight, condescending jerk was to shadow us and time us. Okay, he's gonna have to keep up. Time for malicious compliance. I only use the stairs. Our lab was on the 20th floor. A typical morning for me would be like this. I'd run a desktop monitor ticket to the 6th floor, then go back to the 20th to get my phone bag to go to lower level 1 to the IPX to hook up a phone, then go to the 14th floor to test the phone, then up to 22 to fix the printer, then down to 7 to look at a laptop. Today, I'm only doing the stairs, so this guy was about to have a heart attack trying to keep up with me while I did my job. I took no pity on him and didn't even have to pay attention to him. As far as I was concerned, this jerk was assisting others in having my job eliminated. At some point, I'd lost him in the stairwell. Later, my boss says to me the guy was a bit mad for me taking the stairs, but my boss just told him, this is how my tech works and he is one of my best. If you can't keep up, that's your problem. To this day, I've said she was the best boss I've ever had. 
Later, I found out what I did got back to upper management in Atlanta. They were pissed, yet they couldn't punish me because I was doing my job and did it very well. The story also got around to other techs and they thought it was funny as heck what I did. In April 2008, we found out we were outsourced, just like we knew it was going to happen. I no longer work there. OP, it really sucks that you lost your job, but by the sound of it, I'm glad that you're out of that company and that you were able to deliver a few parting blows before you left. That was r slash malicious compliance, and I would appreciate it if you would maliciously comply by subscribing to my channel. We'll be back with more r slash content right after this short break. Welcome to r slash malicious compliance, where you always have to be careful what you wish for. Our first Reddit post is from LBR. So I work in a family-run pet shop, and it's just the owner, a husband and wife in their late 50s, and me, a 22-year-old female. My boss is an explosive man, and when he's very stressed, he loses his cool randomly over small stuff. So anyway, he walked in one morning at 9am yelling, That's it. Enough phones now. I'm banning it. Leave it in your van. Don't worry about the work Facebook page. I'll do it. I help run the Facebook page for the business too. I said, okay, no problem, and promptly went and put it in my van. I didn't think this was going to last long. I assumed a few days. 9.20am. I'm feeding all the birds, hamsters, rabbits, guinea pigs, etc. And we give them fresh fruits and vegetables. I had brought some fruit that I bought myself and he had some stuff as well. Some of this was fruit and vegetables that I hadn't fed the animals before. Lots of the animals have specific diets and things that they can't eat. So whenever we have new food, I google and check which animals can eat it. I asked my boss, can all the animals eat asparagus? Can they eat cherries? His replies were, probably, or I don't know. So I asked if he would look it up. <laughs> I proceeded with, can kakarikis eat asparagus? Can Gouldian finches eat asparagus? Can hamsters eat asparagus? Can budgies eat asparagus? Can canors eat asparagus? And so on, and so on, and so on. Through, <laughs> through the 50 or so different types and breeds of animals in the shop. Then, the same with cherries. We sort of got this done, but it wasted his time and mine when I could have done it really fast myself like I usually do. 9.45 AM, some new stock had arrived that he'd bought for the job on eBay, so no prices. Oh, can you look these up and see what they're selling for? We do this all the time. <laughs> I say, of course, can I use your phone? Right, that's it. Just go and get your effing phone. It lasted 46 minutes. Older generation. Kids these days always have their faces in their phones. Why can't they just put their devices away for a few minutes? Also the older generation. Excuse me, young sir. I don't know what happened to my phone. Can you please fix it? What's a Google? How do I computer? Please help me. I don't know how to do this. Our next Reddit post is from throwawayquid876. A few years ago, I worked in an office with some pretty strange and sucky rules. One such rule was that while we could apply for personal PTO, paid time off, 
For any reason, management needed a detailed summary of the reason before they would approve. This resulted in several instances of coworkers applying for PTO for things like funerals and birthdays and being told, The current project deadline is more important than your niece's birthday. Or, do you really need to attend your mother's cousin's funeral? That doesn't sound pressing. It was a really toxic system that resulted in some turnover from coworkers who were sick of being held hostage over PTO. Furthermore, both the department manager and the HR manager needed to sign off on the PTO request, which resulted in some really frustrating situations where one approved, but the other didn't. It didn't help that the HR manager was a dick. Pretty much the only time you could expect to be approved was for court dates and important medical appointments. But you still needed to provide details, even if it happened to be a very personal medical or legal situation. This doesn't strike me as legal, but sadly, this isn't the first time I've run into this working in Texas. One more bit of context. My department manager was also a jerk. Without going into too much detail, he was a power-tripping sloth who liked to harass women, like me. Let's call him Jerk and the HR manager Dick. We all hated both of them. On to the malicious compliance. I had an important appointment with my psychiatrist coming up. My meds for anxiety and PTSD were not cutting the mustard anymore and I was in a bad place mentally. I needed a med adjustment. So I took the soonest appointment available. Work would have to cope with a couple of hours without me. I submitted my PTO request to Jerk and Dick for approval. Given the intensely personal nature of the appointment, I left the details sparse. It was rejected. Both Jerk and Dick said in an email that I needed to give details about my appointment in accordance with company policy. Jerk had the nerve to call me into his office and chide me over my unacceptably terse PTO request. You know the rules. Why would you waste my time with such a brief request? You know I can't approve this, etc. I was pissed. But as I stood in my cubicle, it dawned on me that I could get back at Jerk and Dick merely by complying with their own rules. I formulated a plan. I sent an email to Dick and CC Jerk. Always cover your own butt, folks. I said, are you sure you need the details of my appointment? Are you positive? It's really personal. Both Dick and Jerk said, yes, we need the details of your PTO circumstances. You know the rules. I replied that it's very private. Are you sure I need to talk about it? We sent some emails back and forth until I was sure I had a solid paper trail. Then I decided, well, if they really need my personal medical details, which I still think is illegal, but whatever, then I suppose I better give it to them. I submitted a new PTO request with all the relevant information that I was going to see my psychiatrist for an urgent appointment. I needed to be seen at the earliest possible time because I was having thoughts of hurting myself. Because I have PTSD from being passionately hugged against my will in foster care. I threw in some details about what my foster father did to me. How I went numb and used drugs to cope. 
How I was hospitalized as a teenager for a suicide attempt. I also screenshotted and emailed my request to a few of the higher-ups, saying my previous request was insufficient, so I wanted to make sure I got it right this time. I submitted it. (laughs) There were no snippy emails this time. Only approved appearing in green text next to my request in the system maybe four minutes after I submitted it. I blissfully went about my day, happy to have my PTO. Curiously, neither Jerk nor Dick emerged from their offices. The fallout. When I showed up for work at 8 the following day, I was immediately called into the VP's office. One of the higher managers and a woman that I recognized from legal were also present. VP politely asked me to sit and kindly explain the grotesque email I had sent out yesterday. He was a polite but rather out-of-touch older gentleman, so I made myself clear. I needed PTO for a very personal doctor's appointment, and my previous request was denied by both Jerk and Dick for being too brief. And Jerk even called me in his office to complain about my wasting his time. I didn't want to be rejected again, so I made sure my request was as detailed as possible. I also passed it on to management to verify that the level of detail was up to snuff when it came to corporate guidelines. And yes, I do have PTSD. It's all true. And they can reference my ADA paperwork and HR for more information. VP asked me a couple more brief questions. He then apologized for the hassle, said I was being credited some extra PTO for my trouble, and that the company would be reviewing its approach to the PTO approval process. I was then dismissed back to my desk. I received written apologies from Jerk and Dick that very morning, hand-delivered by a tense and rather petrified Jerk. I think legal put him up to it. Both Jerk and Dick went out of their way to avoid me for the remainder of my time at the company, which was a blessing. The few times we were forced to interact, they spoke very quickly and looked desperate to end the conversation. I guess my PTO request was a little too intense for them. Whatever the case, it was the end of Jerk's little power trip, at least with me personally. Also, that same morning, we received a company-wide email marked as important. There was a change in the PTO policy. Requests with regards to medical and other sensitive reasons no longer require detailed explanations effective immediately. Bonus, one of my friends in HR, well, not really a friend, but a woman who liked to discuss crocheting with me at the water cooler, showed me an internal email from Dick to all HR staff. Every PTO request from me personally was to be approved immediately and without question. (laughs) I tested this later that summer by requesting a day off to watch Netflix. That's specifically (laughs) what I put in the request field. I planned on quitting soon, so I was in a flippant mood. It was approved immediately. I think they had me flagged in their system. Truth be told, I could have probably taken a whole month off and gotten paid for it, but I didn't push my luck. I left my company for a much more tolerable, less toxic, higher paying job about six months later. And yes, my appointment went well and I'm doing better now. I started attending a trauma support group, met my SO, and I've been able to reduce the dose of one of my meds. And then we have this crazy contribution from I've been thinking too much down in the comments. 
I got such a chuckle out of this. Back when I worked in a kitchen, I walked in one day to a crowd gathered. A gal gleefully asked me when I'd lost my virginity. I said it was a while ago. No, no, tell us how old you were. You don't need to know. Don't be shy, just tell us. Well, I was passionately hugged against my will when I was 14. The crowd dispersed immediately. Our next Reddit post is from Tabizdi. I worked in an electricity retail call center. It was highly unionized, but the management tracked login times to the minute. One incredibly ridiculous thing they did was if you were a minute or two late, they would literally dock your pay by that many minutes. It wasn't really enough for us to notice and I'm sure they didn't actually save any money. I mean, if you were 15 minutes late, I could understand not paying, but three minutes late? Well, eventually, the union discovered what they were doing and were completely pissed that they hadn't been consulted about this dick move. This is where their malicious compliance comes in. The union demanded log on and log off times for everyone in the call center. What management hadn't counted on was that all of us would often need to wrap up calls and clear the call queue before the call center could officially close. This often meant that operators would leave several minutes after their shift. On bad occasions, it could be 15 to 20 minutes delay before they could clock off, but mostly it was only a few minutes. The union made management recalculate everyone's pay for the year based on clock on and clock off time. They also pointed out that staying past end of shift triggered penalty rates. It turns out everyone, and I mean everyone, had spent more time wrapping up calls at the end of the day than they were late clocking on. Each of us got paid for lost wages at overtime rates. It cost them a fortune, and they never docked the pay of anyone who was late ever again. Why is it that if one person steals from another person, it's a crime and you can go to jail? If a worker steals from a company, it's embezzlement and you can really go to jail. But if a company steals from their employers, then if you're lucky, you get paid the money you were supposed to get paid anyways, and that's it. Our next Reddit post is from very nice username. And for context in this story, OP is a gay male. I work at a grocery store. My boyfriend and me both buy our groceries there and sometimes he'll see me and maybe wave or say hi. We don't chat or waste any time unless I also happen to be going on break. My department manager didn't know I was gay when he hired me and he figured it out when he asked me who that guy that was waving to me was. He made a weird face, not necessarily disgusted, but you get the point. Anyway, anytime my boyfriend would enter the store after that, he would keep his eye on him. Now, if he were to wave to me, my manager would start to berate me and try and make it out like I'm slacking when I'm just stocking shelves and smiling in his direction. Nothing bad at all. He didn't care at all prior to learning he's my boyfriend. After a week, he has a private talk with me saying my boyfriend is causing too much of a distraction and he shouldn't shop here while I'm on shift and that if something didn't change, I might be let go. I was mad, told my boyfriend about it. He was even more mad. 
I didn't really want to make a big deal out of it though. This is a temp job and I probably won't even have it longer than a year or two. So I decided to prank my manager instead of getting into legal or corporate stuff. We have other gay friends that shop there. Crazy enough, we look just like regular people so no one would realize including my manager. Sure, my boyfriend won't shop there, but what about other gay people? That shouldn't matter. He just doesn't want my significant other distracting me at work. So I mentioned what happened to my five friends, who mentioned it to their friends, and so on. My next shift, I bore witness to 30 extremely flamboyant and openly gay men and women flaunting their sexuality in the store. My manager was trying to hide in the back, but every customer needed the manager's assistance for the most mundane questions, lol. He ended up going home early, but after that shock, he actually stopped berating me for the past couple of months. He might just be happy that I'm not very open about my sexuality, so he can choose to ignore it. Is anyone else extremely impressed by how organized the gay community is? Also, I looked it up and the average American spends about $3,000 a year on groceries, times 30 friends, and that comes out to $90,000 a year in potentially lost revenue just because this guy's homophobic. Yo, if you guys are going to pay me 90k, you can kiss whoever you want, wherever you want. That was r slash malicious compliance. And if you're one of those viewers out there who don't actually watch my videos, but only listen, then you might want to check out my podcast with the link down in the description. Also, if you want to support me and this channel, check out my merch store with the link in the description.